What inspires us to do something? What motivates us? What is the gap between thinking about doing something and actually doing it? Here are a few thoughts for you to ponder on as you go about your week. There is a difference between motion and action. Motion is when you're busy doing something, but that task will never produce an outcome by itself. Action, on the other hand, is the type of behavior that will get you a result. As the author of Atomic Habits puts it, signing up for the gym membership feels good and it feels like you're getting closer to your goals of healthy lifestyle, but unless you show up and exercise, it won't produce the results. I hope your projects and goals have great success in action, being inspired by motion. And keep this in mind as you go about your week, and that is that you can act your way into feeling long before you can feel your way into action. It's Saturday, February 19th, 2022, and as we take a look at the recent current events, the two featured stories that we discuss have to do with deconstructionism in Christianity and the analysis of the recent Gallup poll of LGBTQ self-identification. Welcome to Life Ring, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and joining me in person is the co-founder and a regular co-host of the show, Mr. Vadim Melnik. Hello. Hi, Vadim. So today, uh, both to make up for, I guess, the subpar quality of the previous episode and to atone for the missed episode last week, and well, just because we can... Uh, because Vadim proposed uh, we, we do this, we are recording in person. Yeah, it's just, it's just better in every way. I mean, no, th- this is good. I'm, I'm cool with this. Better, better audio quality, probably better to listen. Let us know what you think of in studio recording versus phone recordings. Maybe we get to hear from some of them. That would be nice. I don't think there's anyone that's going to be pushing for for staticky phone yeah. lines, but I, <laughs> like if it's necessary, yeah. Yeah. Nothing against doing it, but then it's just going to be me and Vadim and whoever we can get into Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Anyways, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, doing good. Had a had a week break, I guess. So that was nice. <laughs> Welcome we, break. Yeah. Well, I went to like a well, we call it a youth camp, but it was more like a Christian retreat. Mm. Like mm-hmm. had a really good time. Oh, that's right. Yes, highly recommended. Yeah. You went to you were in Texas for the Radio MV. Uh, like 16 year anniversary or what was it? That's right. It was uh, interesting to be back because they've kind of disconnected, I think for the past six, maybe even, yeah, about six years, maybe, maybe seven years. I have not been part of it, but it was something that I did ever since I was a teenager. Yeah. The radio station. So I got to host and that, that's the reason why I did not do the podcast because I was just, uh, I remember calling you and, and, you know, I was like, I, I don't think I could do this. I, so basically what they do is they spend the whole day uh, having this live show from morning to evening. We're talking about from 10 a.m. Texas time to like, I think it was 7 p.m. Texas time. And you're constantly hosting it. Mm-hmm. I divided the program into every hour into four 10-minute segments. So as you can imagine, I mean, every 10 minute you're talking with someone and then in the breaks you're going and finding the next person and making sure that they know what they're going to be chatting about. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. It's just I was just shot at the end of the day. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but it, it sounds. Hey, yeah, it, well, it's all in Russian too. I mean, we did have no, no Ukrainian, just Russian. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. 
All right. Well, if you're new to the podcast, we have two featured stories that we choose to highlight any uh, given week. Uh, one I get to share in the beginning. The second one is shared by my co-host, uh, Vadim, in this case. And in the middle of the podcast, we have a section where we call it lightning round. We go through about a dozen of stories or so um, of current events that stood out to us in this past week. And then we offer a brief commentary. So let's get uh, to our first feature story of today. You know, when we select feature stories, it doesn't really necessarily mean that it's the top story. Rather, it's the topic or subject that we personally and subjectively feel inspired or maybe compelled to highlight on any given week based on either what we see in the headlines or based on what we're interested to dive in and get a quick overview of, right? Because we only have a few hours to to kind of prepare for for the feature story. A lot of times, like, honestly throughout the week if I hear someone talking about it or someone mentions it to me it's like oh okay like this sparked interest in the public it's like I can't read people's minds yep but yeah so this week uh, the headline that caught my attention was uh, the following Uh, John Cooper why I speak so brazenly about deconstruction and it was by Faithwire now John Cooper is an American musician singer songwriter he has been the lead vocalist bassist and co-founder of Christian rock band Skillet and I don't know where you stand on, you know, as a listener on Christian music styles. I don't listen to much of his songs. I'm familiar with them. I'm not going to dive into discussing how one should view this particular style, which is, I think it's like heavy rock. I think it's like, I think it falls under CCM, which is like. What is that? Uh, Christian contemporary music, where I, I guess like rock. I don't know. More like on a, on a heavy side. I'm not going to discuss how one should view that style, that might be a good idea to cover in another episode. But what caught my attention is his stance and his apologetic rhetoric. So in this article to for Faithwire, he writes an explanation why he has been so straightforward in speaking out against deconstruction, a term which we'll address a little later. So he's bringing an example uh, of some dude walking up to your wife, say you're both entering a restaurant for a date, and this dude starts convincing your wife that, you know, to go with him instead. And then he asks, you know, should you be offended? Of course, right? Uh, Another analogy he brings up is if the same dude is sliding into your wife's DMs and trying to flatter and win her over, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, you're beautiful and you're amazing and I don't think your husband's really, you know, seeing that in you. And (laughs) just imagine that, right? Trying to win her over while bashing on you as a husband. Uh, Again, weird and worthy of normal jealousy response. I mean, this is not okay. He then goes on to say that essentially many of those who fell away from faith, say in the past five years or so, have done or, or arrived at you know falling away from faith after uh, attempting to deconstruct, to deconstruct their own faith, ultimately deconverting or unconverting. And then they began these ministries, quote-unquote, of attacking corporate principles of Christianity, the Bible, the church, and leading along the process others towards deconstruction. So it's like, you know, they're coming in to steal your spouse, but like in a sly way, right? So Vadim, how familiar are you with John Cooper's music? Let's let's begin there. Because um, it's kind of important who's saying it. Right. And you, you mentioned, uh, well, the band's name is Skillet, right? Yeah. Um, I might have heard, I might have one of their songs in my playlist. I know Anchor is really popular. It's on... Um, it's on like mm-hmm. K-pop radio or whatever. Or no, not K-pop. Uh, <laughs> uh, K-Love. 
but I mean, without doing like a whole bunch of lyrical mm-hmm. analysis, it, it seems like there's consistently Christian themes. Um, obviously, with someone of of his talent, like you would, he would sell a lot more records if he left those out. If he just made secular rock music, by the fact that he doesn't, you know, it shows his dedication to the message. And so, I mean, good on him, right? Um, aside from that, I wouldn't single him out from any other uh, CCM band. Yeah, and I thought, you know, like half of the people out there would probably expel this guy from the church based on his music style, right? Because he's he's kind of traditional and conservative. It's, it's a weird mix. He's conservative in his lyrics and his view on the Bible and, and Christianity, but the style. But he's bringing up some solid points. Basically, he's like, hey, the, the term is subjective in our culture. For many, it's just this, this deconstruction, right? Deconstructionism. For many, it's just, quote, reading the Bible afresh and being willing to challenge your beliefs that may be based on traditional thinking. But then he goes on to point out the difference, and I quote here, This may sound harmless and even virtuous, but there are two major distinctions that need to be mentioned. One, there are those who hold a conviction that the Bible is God's authoritative word and therefore approach it with faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them into deeper conviction of sin, a deeper love for Jesus and his perfections, and deeper understanding of what is righteous and what is evil. And two, meaning the second major distinction, is then there are people who read the Bible afresh, but without faith, and without a belief that the Bible is God's authoritative word. They consider words on its pages of no greater or less importance than any other book, religion, or TikTok influencer. Rather, they use their own feelings and intellect to decide what they agree with and disagree with. And I mean, the, the way he, he laid the contrast lines here, it leaves no doubt that between the two, there is a, a chasm, a profound difference between the two. And yet on the surface, one might go down the path of this quote-unquote reading afresh with good intentions. But see, if they're missing the main ingredient, they're bound to go down the fatal path of doubts and ultimately shipwrecking. So what have you heard personally of deconstructionism of faith? I think that in in theological circles, it's definitely uh, well-disseminated term. Um, I I don't know how well it is defined in many cases where it's used, but if we're talking about doubt... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's deal with it like the faith crisis that it is, right? And, you know, there's ma- many men of faith who had uh, moments of doubt in their lives, moments of despair. I wouldn't praise someone for going through that. I would think that they need support, they need guidance, and uh, they need to be reaffirmed. Um, but if we're talking about if we're talking about challenging church traditions in favor of biblical exegesis, you know, let's do that. Let's let's commend people that do that. That's fantastic. Right. Um, but let's not put deconstruction on the on this pedestal where it can be hijacked by things like um, like pop culture and, and TikTok. And one example, I guess, that comes to mind is is the son of uh, John Piper, the Abraham guy, where he mm. goes off on, yes. these, on these tirades and kind of. Uh, these gotcha points, and that to me kind of demonstrates like the toxic side of deconstruction of faith, where it's just people use the word, but it's it's used in different ways by different people depending on their intentions, and that's what it seems like. And and I'll get back to that in a second, uh, or I guess as we as we go on about the negative kind of tone of deconstructionism, but I I think this is an important subject, and it will become mainstream conversation among Gen Z this whole deconstructing of faith. Maybe it's going to have a different term, uh, and we're already seeing it, its effect. Not because they don't want to believe, not because they don't need Jesus, not because they are you know, an anti-religious generation, but because they live in a world where cults and religions are being exposed 
all the time. And that already puts them on alert. So what is deconstruction? Well, according to gotquestions.org, and I quote here, deconstruction is the heading most recently applied to the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of Christian faith. This is an application of deconstructionism as an approach that claims to dissemble beliefs or ideas while assuming their meanings are inherently subjective. It's a theory of textual criticism or interpretation that denies there there's, is any single correct meaning or interpretation of passage or text. And now, of course, that goes directly against the clear teaching of the Bible, where Jesus himself says, um, and I quote here from John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So they tend to overlook that, I guess, passage and a lot of other ones. And so the reader then does not look for intended meaning by the writer, but tries to peel away the layers of social, cultural motives, and uses his own intellect to discern what the, quote-unquote, the true meaning of the text is. And we've seen this probably being brought forward more by the celebrities and, um, I, I guess, influencers, if you will. And this is pure postmodernism, where there is no absolute truth, and the I, the me, is at the center of determining what is and isn't true. So what, is, what do you think is the greatest contributing factor to the rise of deconstructionism? I don't. I don't know exactly how to how to phrase this in a way that would be concise and understandable. But I do think John Cooper is like in a perfect in a perfect environment to be able to spot it mm-hmm. um, because he's living in this kind of um, like I would say celebrity culture where mm-hmm. where you know all the celebrities have to pick up on the trends very quickly because they're although they seem like they're leading a lot of the trends a lot of the times they're just kind of the fastest to adapt to them and, mm-hmm. um, and spearhead it. Honestly, that's what it is. I think it's a trend that things that, um, like so-called intellectuals, the things that they place high value on are copy and pasted into a spiritual environment. I don't know what to call it. Maybe similar to like scientific positivism. And like you said, it's it's like a loosely, uh, loosely defined branch of literary criticism and things like that. Either way, it's not new to the human experience. Whenever we take words and and change their meaning to fit our uh, to fit our agenda, you know, I see it as just another inversion by uh, by sinful, prideful man. It's a, it's a problem as as old as time. Uh, to demonstrate that, I guess we can read from from Isaiah Isaiah five twenty where it says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." So. A trend and an inversion, a combination of those. Now, he does have a book that he wrote. Uh, he says after traveling like for 23 years in rock band, uh, he has noticed a consistent issue that people are desperately confused, that if you want to know what's true, you must go to the source of all truth. That's the little snippet on his book, which is called Awaken Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in a Chaos of Relativistic World. And you're right. He has been exposed, I guess, to much more of, you know, the Christianity at large, and especially the the celebrity side of it, and that probably played a big role. And it's nice to have someone from within to comment, right? Because, I mean, he does have a good following of, of young people and, you know, a definite fan base. And, and still to be able to speak for the truth of God without compromise, well, that's commendable. And so... When I think of, you know, what what's happening with the constructionism today is that it's an attempt by the people who do this. And I'm talking about young people who are growing up and, and questioning their faith. It's an attempt to be one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I know that that's 
a cliche saying, but it's trying to be culturally aligned with the world and emotionally aligned with the good vibes of Christianity. And in the end, we know that you you can only choose one side. There is no compromise. Once you start to go towards the compromise, you might feel like you're in both worlds, but really you already lost the first one. There is only one foundation, and it is Jesus Christ, and he is the truth. So where does that leave us? Well, if you consider yourself a Christian, then your faith flows out of the Word of God, and that is the only sound foundation you can have. And when we turn to the Word of God, we find that all of it is inspired by him, and was meant to be available for us to learn from, and only with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so in the scripture, we find that our understanding is limited, and that's the starting point. It's limited in comparison to God's infinite knowledge and wisdom. And so is our memory. We forget, and the culture obviously constantly imprints on us its own dictates and scripts, and that is why we are called to engage in constant immersion into the Word of God, so that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so as the deconstruction crew continues to attack and exploit the doubts and concerns of the weak in faith and those who are struggling, I think it's our duty to offer a helping shoulder. Jesus was kind, yet challenging to the curious Nicodemus. Um, He was patient and loving towards the doubting Thomas. And, And so must we, but we're also to contend for our faith. We are to get grounded in what we believe and to wear the shield of faith with courage. So deconstruction, like you mentioned that's earlier, Vadim, today, it might sound like a noble, honest, and reasonable practice to some people. But like you highlighted, its intent is to take apart and never put together. That's why it leads to shipwrecks in faith. That's why many have fallen away, left with broken pieces, unable to piece anything together from what they just deconstructed. So may I suggest instead words like renewing, reforming, restoring, reviving. Those are the great action verbs that we can pursue in conjunction with reading the word in faith, all along relying only on the guidance of leading of the Holy Spirit and not on our dear selves. Welcome to Lightning Round, where we get to take a look at the top stories Uh, that we picked out subjectively uh, that are interesting and worth noting. And so we begin with the world news, as always, uh, talking about Canada on Thursday. Well, and following day on Friday, the situation in Canada took a turn. Ever since we released episode 10 on January 30th, uh, which was, what, about three weeks ago at this point, as the trucks at that point were bringing in or beginning their protests. Well, now it's almost 20 days later, and the authorities are finally cracking down on the protesters is the way this article relayed. By cracking down, they started arresting them. Do you think this will cause more problems? Like, what, what do you think the reaction is going to be of the protesters? Because, I mean, they've stated the message for the 20 days now. It has been really interesting to watch. Um, when it first started happening, it was kind of like, oh, okay, like, like this will blow over in a few days. Like, they'll make their, they'll make their point and then, you know, it'll... It'll blow over, but now that Trudeau is, or I guess the authorities in general are cracking down and like doubling down on the position that like you know these are these are Nazis and like misogynists mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know whatever epithets they want to throw on them, uh, it's just like I have no idea. It's crazy because you think about like they want to move the trucks, right? Well, 
you can't you can't stop people from fueling up their trucks because you need to be able to disengage the brakes and move it. You also can't cut the brake lines because because that's like imperative to their like that's helping to helping to move too. it too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it almost seems like there. I just don't know. Like there's so much there's so many factors at play. Now, according to New York Times, uh, the police began moving in and making some arrests in downtown Ottawa, hoping to end weeks of gridlock in Canada's capital from demonstrations sparked by vaccination requirements and other grievances. Among those arrested on Thursday night was uh, Tamara Lich, 47, one of the protest's main organizers, according to Donnie Palak, a spokeswoman for the protest. Oh, didn't the author Palowski guy get arrested too? He did. Again. Or he, yeah. Was again, it last again, week, again. I think? <laughs> or maybe it was the week before. So some of the highlights from this week, it's worth mentioning that apparently there's a class action lawsuit against the protesters and they're seeking about $306 million Canadian dollars in compensation for the lost income since all the workers' businesses ended up losing that money because of the blockade. Um, Justin Trudeau uh, took the rare step this week of declaring national public order emergency, first of its kind in a half a century. And there was a threat that kids will be taken away because approximately 25% of the trucks had children with the family. You know, I guess they're sticking around. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of videos circulating of you know, police hugging and shaking hands and supporting the protesters because that kind of adds to the whole thing, you know, because some of them are, I guess, right, don't really want to do, but it's like, that's a tough spot to be in. Well, I guess all of this protest, which garnered the national attention, you know, this fringe movement, as they were Mm -hmm. calling it, actually became, you know, use this media platform as a megaphone to really blow the message all over the world. Some will be arrested. Well, we'll see how it goes as the week comes to an end. All right, so what are you hearing about Ukraine and Russia situation? Like, personally, what are you hearing? Uh, not much, honestly. Like, there's, you kind of see, like, TikTok videos and stuff of, of <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, you don't know if it's staged or whatever. Like, Russian troops, Russian troops, you know, mobilizing and leaving the place. But it's kind of weird, like, you think about the paranoia that Russia is feeling in terms of being so, they have to be, if what we're seeing is what's actually happening, like, they have to be extra transparent about what they're doing with the troops within their own borders and so it's like there's like a 99.99 percent that this will never happen but like if they are afraid of nato doing to them what they're threatening to do to ukraine like think about like the uh, i guess trepidation that they might be feeling and so like that's something i've been thinking about recently it's like do they actually live like in this delusional world where they have to worry about that stuff like Uh, again that that's where you know because i've I, i just see the official news in ukraine and, you know, they're saying that this panic is unbased and it's causing losses on our side, primarily economic losses. Mm-hmm. That's what the president of Ukraine said last week. And also then the Russian message remains the same, that we're not invading. What's going on background is hard to read, but I don't think they're really looking for a major conflict. I mean, if anything, Russia's looking to better themselves, right? I don't think they're stand to gain right now from, from anything if they were to invade. Like, mm-hmm. in what way would it benefit their country? Expansion of borders to what? <laughs> get a piece of Ukraine. Ukraine is not even that big, you know, in comparison to Russia. It's like, there's just, it, and, and the amount of backlash they're going to get on a worldwide stage is going to be huge. So I don't really see this as a, um, 
you know, like a, a real thing. It seems like the West, and by that I mean United States, they continue to insist that there's some kind of signs or signals that invasion is imminent. The Russians in turn think that it's all fabricated and, and used as an excuse to bring more NATO military equipment closer to Russian borders, mm-hmm. right? So Well, you see like the U.S. diplomats like getting kicked out of Moscow and stuff. Like so, But those are all like diplomatic moves, right? Yeah, so it, it's Just, all propaganda pieces to basically demonstrate relations between the U.S. and Russia as opposed to like what Russia is actually going to do. I don't know. I was in Texas and one of the brothers told me February 16th is when the invasion is going to happen, for sure. Oh, like, they, well, know, they know already. Well, they're saying, and like, they won't attack during the Winter Olympics or something because Putin's this, like, gallant, uh, like, he's gentlemanly not, gesture, sure. yeah. And again, I'm like, you know, I don't have the sources that they have, but it just, man, I'll tell you what, at this point, I have no idea what's going on, and I'm skeptical of anyone who says they do. All right, let's hit COVID news. Uh, Guess what? We've reached immunity, at least for the current Omicron variant. And apparently that's enough to just reopen everything. Uh, According to Associated Press, about half of eligible Americans have received booster shots. There have been nearly 80 million confirmed infections overall, and many more infections have been never been reported. One (laughs) One influential model uses these factors and others to estimate that 73% of Americans are for now immune to Omicron, the dominant variant, and that could rise to 80% by mid-March. So, do you, Vadim, have any idea why we've reached immunity all of a sudden? Uh, what's the stated reason or what's the actual reason? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the actual reason. I, I've heard someone say that we're here in Washington, we're like at 87% vaccinated or something. And so I guess if they're sticking they're to likely. that, sticking to that, that that's like, like the saving factor, then, I mean, we made it. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering if midterm have anything to do with that. Because oh, Biden's kind of right pushing the whole right, message. Right. So according to Associated Press, the Biden administration is telling Congress that it now needs additional $30 billion to press ahead with the fight against COVID-19. And according to the Nonpartisan Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, Congress has already approved to date $5.8 trillion to battle the pandemic. And again, these are major bill spending from Trump to Biden administrations. And that's not counting the actions by the Federal Reserve to help keep the economy going. So already we've dumped a lot of money into pandemic and it doesn't seem like it's ending on a, I guess, economic front. Did you hear the news about the masks in our state or no? Yeah, something like uh, no more indoor mandates after March 1st or something like 21st. 21st. 21st March, yeah, no no indoor mandates. And that includes schools. And now I think of the 17th, you don't have to wear outside also a mask. So oh, you can now stop Finally, <laughs> yeah. Our, our next category, economy. Um, well, economy is still recovering from COVID, apparently. It's uh, contagious enough to where the economy got sick too. I was going to read CBS poll results, but I'll let you do that yourself, dear listener, if you're interested <laughs> to see the numbers that have little to do with reality. So I had to skip that article. But um, let's begin with this. How are gas prices around town? I feel like it's been a while since I filled up. I think it's gone up. I feel like maybe a month ago, you can get regular Mm -hmm. fuel for like Mm -hmm. $3.70. Now it's like like four bucks. I think it's been, yeah, it's been on a rise. And there's, there's greater demand than 
and not as much production. Again, production levels are restoring from what I read. Let's look at crude oil, for example, as a major economic placeholder. Now, two years ago, the price per barrel of oil, crude oil, was a respectable $60, according to Bloomberg. As pandemic hit, the fuel consumption dropped to record lows and the price went down to like $20 a barrel around March. So 60, pandemic hits, it's 20. And then on April 20th, 2020, the cost dropped to negative $40 a barrel. They say we've never had a crisis like that, ever. Apparently, at this point, it was a waste to have this. Like, you have to pay people to get rid of this because it was, like, in the negatives. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Finally, in the March of 2021, uh, we matched the pre-pandemic prices of, like, 65 a barrel. Well, here's the news. On Thursday this week, it almost got up to $100 a barrel. Oil companies, this is why it's important. They were preparing to die off, Right. Like their era is over and now they're getting excited about oil again because this is all, you know, profits. Here's an ironic comment by Bloomberg. uh, And I quote here, a world that's supposed to be learning to live without fossil fuels was, has witnessed the spectacle of white house officials calling the OPEC. Now OPEC is a group of 24 oil producing nations made up of like 14 members of basically this petroleum exporting countries. They witnessed White House officials calling the uh, on OPEC to boost oil production and all of that while attending the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. Aside from the climate change virtue signaling, it's business as usual. In this instance, they just happened at the same time. <laughs> and, and it's just getting better. I mean, it's like now all of a sudden doing all this profitable and White House is asking for it. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to reach our green goals, by the way. I think. All right, next story. According to Axios, uh, the number of abortions performed in Texas fell by 60% in the first month after the, and here I'm changing the wording that they had. They called it the most restrictive laws in the, whatever, in the last century. But it's the heartbeat laws that went into effect. So up until September in 2021, there were at least 4,200 abortions performed each month. Now we're seeing a 60% drop as of September. Again, the numbers are a little behind as usual. I mean, it's possible. Like people are people are crossing the state line to get that abortion that they really want. You know, I, th- I think this number, maybe it's not a true 60% decrease, but it is a decrease because like there's not going to be more people leaving the state to get abortions. It's That's what I'm wondering. If it's, it's either going to reshuffle eventually, you know, across the states or... Or are, the, uh, are these people holding out? Because this is September data. Maybe they got abortion in November. I think it had an effect, maybe pandem- but, but not yeah. probably not 60%. I think or maybe people number. are just being a little more smarter with, <laughs> with their uh, bodies and, you know, not having an easy out kind mm-hmm. of prompts them to be more responsible. That would be a good thing. Maybe so. According to Christianity Today, a Bible version designed to, quote, recapture the emotion of God's word, was removed from Bible Gateway last week. The Passion Translation, TPT, is listed as, quote, no longer available among the site's 90 English language Bible offerings. Have you read the Passion Translation? This uh, paraphrase, this, this paraphrase, this work of art. Okay, so these kind of conversations, like, I'm cautious about endorsing one type or another translation. Like, there's obviously the ones I read, uh, the ones that, you know, in church, obviously, you would share from the Ukrainian one. Um, Mm -hmm. But my thing is, like, don't tell somebody what translation to read if you don't read any of them, or, like, what not to read. Um, But I could see how how the Passion Translation would be um, 
problematic. Like, it, I wouldn't necessarily endorse it over any other ones. In the same way, like, I wouldn't do that with KJV because it, it really is hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with the Passion Translation, it is very, it, it almost feels, like, hyper-modern. And hyper-charismatic. I was looking at the word table of how much, I mean, because it was essentially his choice to use those type of words. So he would use, like, a lot of the charismatic words in place of, you know, what you would have. The, the actual word there, he would sort of just take it and stretch it a little higher, right? Because he comes from a charismatic background. So he, he took the liberty to stretch those words. And, you know, Christianity Today writes that this translator, Brian Simmons, he's a former missionary linguist and a pastor who now leads Passion and Fire Ministries. He himself, he, his, and I quote here from, from their article, he sees his work in Bible translation as part of a divine calling on his life to bring a word, the word, to the nations. His translation has been endured by a range of apostolic, charismatic Christians, including Lou Engle, I don't know that guy, Bethel's Bill Johnson, and Hillsong's Bobby Houston. So it's a very charismatic and, I guess, retelling of the Bible. Anyways, well, in Arizona, Reverend Andres Arango, a Catholic priest, had learned that he had wrongly performed thousands of baptisms in his 20 years of practice, and so he has resigned as a pastor of St. Gregory Parish in Phoenix. But he still remains a priest in good standing, according to Como News. Basically, instead of I baptize you, he said we baptize you, which according to same Como News, uh, and I quote here, this one word mistake apparently invalidates those baptism and people incorrectly baptized will need to undergo the right again. Yeah, it's just, I think it's a little bit silly. That's just placing too much value, in my opinion, on on like specific liturgy in, within that church. And it's just kind of like, do you know the exact words Philip used on, on that eunuch on the in the wilderness and like someone that someone that's already passed away <laughs> like is that are they unsaved now <laughs> you know so like it's just uh there, there is purgatory oh yeah okay right. well what else was i gonna say indulgences i don't know if they still do that but <laughs> i don't okay let's <laughs> not, no, not go there yeah yeah the, the other part is that i mean he's not using the original you know aramaic or greek for that matter or latin i assume right isn't there also a royal we, which means I? Uh, like the king I, would say we, oh. and you would address you, the plural you? I'm not sure. Come on. They're, they're, so it's like, really, it's... And he brought up a good point. He's like, if you substitute one thing for another, it changes the meaning. For example, he said, if you substitute wine with milk during communion, Eucharist, that would change the meaning, and I would agree with him in that sense but it's like the specific wording just this one anyway so now anyone who's uh, there's also possibility that the marriage is invalid they said and anyone who has been baptized by reverend arango is advised to contact their pastor or we advise you to find an evangelical local church and um if you're going to be rebaptizing they they can help you with that and then i saw you added the story of the pakistani christian teenagers can you share that story? Uh, I, I can retell it a little bit. Um, I saw it on a, on a Christian blog uh, where there was a uh, 17-year-old Pakistani boy that was, uh, I guess he's like a waiter in a restaurant, and then there was a Christian um, truck driver or, or something that was involved in missions, and he was just stopped by his restaurant and was, I guess, like ordering food, and then the, the boy asked him that, I don't know, I guess he was just like really courteous or really nice or something, and, and the boy asked him, was like, hey, are you are you part of like a different Muslim sect or something? Like, um, and then he started telling him about Jesus, and so, um, and then later on, you know, he started to, like, he got him in touch with, with local missionaries, and they started mentoring the guy, and, and he came back, and 
um, and witness to his village, and and they like stopped doing their their Muslim prayers and and in favor of of like praying to to Jesus. And so like, I think it's a I thought it was a really cool story of how like your spiritual work happens outside of church and like it happens outside of this uh, these like religious paradigms where you can just be going about your day and and like radically change somebody's life. I thought that was really cool. And especially that he's a 17-year-old teenager, right? Like we talk about today's teenagers and how they Mm -hmm. can witness. Here's a guy going and changing. And I think the number was 60 people, about 60 people in his tribe. Mm -hmm. That's that's a small church. Oh, yeah. No, like it's cool because you think about missionary work and like a lot of times you're kind of you know, can you say you're you're bringing unbelievers to Christ when you're when you're like always in this church environment, sort of? Um, but this is like the, in its purest form. I think it's really cool. So I saw the headlines from Reason.com, and it went like this: Sea levels to rise one foot by 2050, says NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Basically, in the next 30 years, they're saying 10 to 15 inches of sea level rise is expected. They're also saying that there will be as much that the rise will be as much as the rise measured over the last 100 years. So the, the rise in the next 30 years is going to be the same as... Anyways, and then I come across this article by CNBC, which points out the following. The Arctic could see ice-free summers by 2035, reshaping global shipping routes. And they're mentioning these points like, Arctic sea lanes might be ice-free in the summertime by 2035, according to scientists. And also, the northern sea route may save almost 20 days off the shipping time now spent traveling through the Suez Canal, according to China. And so the article begins with this, sick sick of shipping delays? There might be a faster way to ship supplies around the world in the not-too-distant future. With melting sea... (laughs) And I can't read this even straight. With melting sea ice in the Arctic, Russia and China are expanding their shipping infrastructure over the Eurasian continent. Like, this is why we should be in a frenzy about our planet. And then it's like... But it'll be good for commerce. <laughs> yeah, shipping. No so, shipping delays. Yeah. Moving on to science. Have you tried imitation meat? The Impossible Burger. Have you? The one from Burger King? Uh, I don't know where they sell them. I think. I think uh, so. Starbucks also has them. Oh, yeah, imitation Starbucks. burger. I. Anyway, it's like fake, fake, not fake meat, but like vegetable based. Yeah, meat. it it tastes. Um, maybe the one I had was bad, but it tasted like a, a like really well done patty. Like it was just. I, I don't know. See how the spices that they put in there kind of overpower a little bit, but I think it's intended because they also want to mask some of the vegetable taste that it has. Mm. But anyways, so according to Wired, uh, there's this company that, not company, they basically revived one of the older patents that they had for NASA. Uh, the challenge was how do we create food in space? And there was this idea how they can do it from thin air, literally create food from thin air. And according to Wired, the process is similar, and I quote here, to how yogurt is made relying on live cultures. Air protein cultivates hydrogenotrophic microbes inside fermentation tanks and feeds them a mix of carbon dioxide, oxygen, minerals, water, and nitrogen. The end result is this protein-rich flour, which has a similar amino acid profile as meat protein. Uh, But how does the company turn that into a tender chicken breast? Well, they say we just add culinary techniques that give you the different textures that you're looking for. It says Dyson, I guess the guy who's who's doing this, using a combination of pressure, temperature, and cooking techniques. Well, they already got 30 million in funding, 
and that's about 30 million more in funding than this podcast received. So, <laughs> <laughs> why you got to do us like that? I, that's, well, that's that's a project. I mean, make a meat out of thin hair. Well, it's like you think about the composition of of like our our bodies, and that it's it's what's that acronym? Chops. Well, it's like carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, phosphorus. I don't know. It's like it, it is composed of just like these rearranged molecules and, and like Yeah. If they figured out a way to do that, I mean oh, it's just interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll see where this goes. In a world of tech news, I wonder if it's time to buy meta stock just because it drops so low. I mean, if you think about it, it's been dropping like it's on sale. Crazy. Yeah. Do you, yeah. you got stocks with big tech? I, no? I don't think so. No, Not I I bought the Amazon one when it dropped like Mm. like it took a big dip but otherwise yeah so that's what i'm wondering i mean because right now it's just dropped i'm sure it's going to pick up just because i mean it's a big company it has a way of reallocating and you know not the first time if you will here's here's an article for benzinga.com the texas attorney general filed a lawsuit against meta platforms inc for its long-standing and discontinued use of facial recognition technology that violated that state's privacy protection for personal biometric data They went on to say Facebook has been secretly harvesting Texans' most personal information, photos and videos, for its own corporate profit. Uh, Texas law has prohibited such harvesting without informed consent for over 20 years. While ordinary Texans have been using Facebook to innocently share photos of loved ones with friends and family, we now know that Facebook has been brazenly ignoring Texas law for the last decade. So they're going to be suing Facebook. I don't think that's good news for the stock. It doesn't make me want to want to own shares in Facebook, though. Like I don't know if Meta and Facebook Meta and Facebook are too different, or no, or did they all? I think I think Meta's the fold parent. Fold Meta's the yeah. parent company now. Yeah. Well, speaking of virtual reality, did you know that uh, a UK insurer Aviva said last year it saw a thirty-one percent increase in home content claims involving VR headsets, and a sixty-eight percent overall increase since twenty sixteen. So. Now, in 2021, the average claim for VR-related accidental damages was about between or was about 650 euro, or about 880 dollars. And most incidents involved cracked TV screens. So there was, <laughs> I mean, people yeah. are VRing all the way. Very immersive experience, I think. Yeah, because you hear about that stuff with um, what's that thing that Xbox had, like the Kinect or whatever. Where you have the like Wii, a, or no? Wii? It, I I don't know. I think I think it was related to the Wii, where you can, like I don't know, like you pitch a baseball or something. Yeah, and yeah, people yeah. let go of the. You swing, yeah. yeah. Yep. So I'm sure a lot of that is. Some people really get immersed in that, and they're just so in it, they're literally unaware. And and I mean, I don't know if you have you tried the VR. Mm-mm. I I had a uh, well, I have the cheap headset, but I also tried at work. We tried an augmented reality headset, which is pretty mm. neat. It places so you come up. Well, I work for Boeing, but you come up to a to the plane, and it recognizes the structure of a plane, and it would place certain overlays as you're looking at the airplane. Ooh. And at that time, it was, oh. I mean, this was a few years ago, but it was top edge technology. All right, moving on to space. In general words, that SpaceX is doing much better than expected, and NASA is very concerned right now about their developments because because of the way I guess Elon Musk build the reusable rockets right it's it might come to a point where the current nasa projects or even other organizations that are kind of in the race well, they have to figure out how to do the same thing yeah or well, else yeah, yeah. Go bankrupt yep i forgot what the word is they would become obsolete mm-hmm. 
uh, essentially, or get defunded. And that's a real fear that they're having. And also uh, Virgin Galactic has now opened up. Um, it's now going to space is a reality for you and for me. For uh, $450,000, we can get a 90-minute ride to the edge of space, including a signature air launch and a Mach 3 boost to space. Uh, passengers will enjoy several minutes of weightlessness, spectacular views of Earth from the 17 windows. The ticket also includes several days of astronaut training, a fitted Under Armour spacesuit, membership in the future astronaut community. All flights launch from Spaceport America in New Mexico. Where do I sign up? <laughs> You're ready? <laughs> I just need the money. <laughs> I just want to join the future astronaut community. What is that? All right, and then finally, in the world of sports, did you watch the Super Bowl this year? I'm trying to remember where I was. No. But no? Yeah. Why? Why? Did you watch the three this need, year? I think I need more reason to watch it than to not watch it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> okay, know. Okay, that's a good one. I... No, I haven't been paying attention to football really in this last couple of years. I feel like it was Seahawks playing or or maybe, I don't know, some other team that to me, like, I'm going to read to you what it, in case you didn't watch Super Bowl, dear listener, the Los Angeles Rams, according to CNN, this is, by the way, a good story to quote CNN on, uh, defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 23 to 20. Who won again? The Rams. And this was Super Bowl LVI, what is that supposed to be? 56. 56. I'll tell you this, the suspenseful game ended with a fourth down stop by Ram... <laughs> I have no idea what that is. This is I, heard it, I heard it was good. I just, like... I, I watched the highlights and I didn't find them interesting just because I can't relate to the teams. But they won the Super Bowl and I thought the other part was interesting is that LA, which has been, you know, in lockdowns and all this COVID stuff, right? All of a sudden, sprang back to life. And then uh, you mentioned the Jets. Oh yeah, there was there was like a meme with all the people that flew in to right. uh, to watch the game on private jets, and it showed like their flight paths. And then there was a quote about uh, uh, something about caring for the environment. I don't remember, but it's basically like exactly. the the elites. Are, you got the woke people gathered in uh, their place, and yeah, what do you know? All right, well that's all for today's lightning round stories. Now let's talk about that Gallup poll. All right, another episode, another Gallup poll. There was a survey done of 12,000 American adults with um, responses broken up into different generations. Uh, I'm not sure what the proportions are, but uh, they seem to have responses ranging from traditionalists, um, otherwise known as the silent generations, all the way to Gen Z, arguably the loudest generation. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the question uh, that these people responded to? Well, Gallup asked Americans whether they personally identify as straight or heterosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender as part of the demographic information it collects on all U.S. uh, telephone surveys. So you can also volunteer an option um, if it was not given, which I'm guessing that comes up pretty often. Mm -hmm. But so there are some surprising results, right? Um, Well, maybe not surprising, but definitely significant. Uh, So they've already taken this poll twice before in 2012, 2017, and now there's data from 2021. Um, 
you can see the trend lines in the graph that you you posted in our notes. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a lot to unpack here, um, but but you do see the really sharp rise in millennials and Gen Z. So traditionalists, baby boomers, and Gen X they're kind of stable uh, throughout the throughout the ten years uh, with their respective responses. So they range from like 0.8 percent to 4.2 percent. Mm-hmm. Millennials did go up in the past five years. From seven point eight to ten point five, identifying as LGBT, which is which is a large gain, but it's not compared to Gen Z. Uh, so in two thousand seventeen, the oldest Gen Zs were only twenty years old, so there wasn't that many of them to survey. But even then, they were at ten point five percent. Wow. Now in two thousand twenty one, though, they make up uh, a larger amount of the adult population, um, and the rates of LGBT identification have gone up. Um, almost double. So now with 20.8% identifying as LGBT. So that's pretty reliable one in five from the people they polled. Um, this brings up the average for everybody across uh, across the age range to 7.1%, which is a pretty dramatic increase. This has been heralded uh, in various uh, news sites and articles that this is a huge victory for activists and uh, gay pride fanatics across the world. Uh, I have some contentions with this data, but I want to hear your thoughts. Like, why why are we seeing these numbers going up, uh, especially with Gen Z? Uh, because the narrative, right, is is now gays are no longer oppressed, and and um, and so repressed people are finally allowed to be themselves and live out their uh, their own truth. You could say. I wonder if it's the same thing, and I, I think I mentioned this before when we talked on this subject. I wonder if it's the same thing. I wonder if it's younger people trying to find themselves, uh, you know, some a place where they belong just kind of joining a subculture because I guess the bigger question would be whether these, you know, 20% of Gen Z, uh, because the rest have like a steady growth, like you said, but this spike right here, whether it's more just because they want to side with the issue that they saw their parents promote, right. As an important one, or at least the culture of their parents, maybe the, because they're not oppressed right now, but because there were, there was talks of oppression during the Trump era or even, you know, pre-Obama, they saw all of that, I guess, brewing. And so maybe right now they feel like they need to stand in the ranks of these newly, I don't know, accepted subculture group. I wonder if it's just looking for belonging and not necessarily being uh, identifying. And then, but then the other factor could be is that there is a, um, you know, lower self-esteem and because of all the stress and all the uh, anxiety in the world right now, you know, that it does affect the way younger generation perceives themselves. And since the world offered it an opportunity to question its gender, uh, sexuality, maybe this generation is doing just that, just because that's another avenue to tap into uh, looking for identity and purpose. Yeah, those are all good points. I feel like... um I don't really see how the results from an anonymous poll would demonstrate like um, like this is some kind of victory for acceptance. Like in my mind, if I was like a closeted gay person, um, I, I wouldn't have a problem admitting that to like an anonymous pollster on, on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then again, I don't know. But a more concrete thing, <laughs> one thing that stands out is the amount of people that call themselves bi. So out of that 20%, 15 of the 20 uh, are bisexual. The rest is like gay, lesbian, or trans. If you take out the bi's, now you're much closer to that baseline with yep. the other generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's an issue there. I feel like you know that that's the easiest way to get kind of that that clout for being uh, 
divergent, which which is very trendy right now. So like somebody who who wants to claim a mental illness or a disorder um, as like a quirk or just uh, mm-hmm. to to have something unique about themselves, um, they would call themselves neurodivergent. You see that a lot of that like. Um, on your Twitter or Instagram bio. And it's just a new way of showing like how sophisticated and urbane you are. Um, where we see that with uh, calling yourself bisexual, like you don't have to make any changes to your lifestyle to account for it, uh, for the change in title. It's like, it's literally just as easy as changing your, um, your social media status. Um, but then that would lead to a more philosophical question. Like what constitutes a gay person? Uh, like what's your opinion? Is it, is it something as concrete as a, as a gay gene or just something that uh, gets accepted just because it's been suggested so many times or maybe it's something else. I remember a while back we had a family discussion, a discussion that went a little bit more heated than it probably should have because the the opinions were strong. Uh, And and I remember looking into this question and seeing that we don't have a gene for it yet. As far as I know, there is no gene that they can identify. Otherwise they would have, and celebrated and and but what 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 there is a consensus is that it's both nurture and nature that plays into the people you know being gay that there is something that they are naturally inclined to when they are already born and again that's not surprising to me i don't think that's god's doing per se but it is a result of a sinful nature degrading over time right and straying away from the original intended design so we can find, for example, in a person who's a Christian, but his natural inclination because of his biology is that he is hot-tempered. And for the rest of his life, that is something that he or she will continue to work on. Um, you know, That's a biological, again, inclination. But then also the nature or the nurture part comes in if they grow up in an environment where that is being, you know, encouraged, where there is being praised, where there is being uplifted, then they're likely to stray towards that. So I don't think there's a gene, but I but I think that until we know more sure, and you know, there's ongoing studies over this, until we know for sure, we know that it's both nature and nurture. It was a result of a fallen nature, uh, but also uh, of the environment. And so as we approach gay people, we ought to understand that it's not just a switch that you turn off, you know, as soon as they believe. That is a struggle that they will likely, most of them, some of them, I don't know, will continue to have on because it's something that's part of their sinful nature that they will continue to fight till the day they meet the Creator. I don't know how much authority I have to talk about the the gene thing, but like it does seem like for the argument that, like, oh, I was born this way or Mm -hmm. or something, like that would be... um, a good counterpoint because like if there was a gay gene like and then we became more accepting of of people not being like i guess pressured into being in straight relationships and stuff like wouldn't that gay gene die out um like i just don't see how th- how that would lead to an increase in <laughs> in lgbt people <laughs> all right yeah, by any by any logic hmm. but i think the easiest way to navigate is 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 to say that it's not about your feelings and it's not uh about your inclinations but what defines your what defines your orientation is the activity, right? So let me explain. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say someone that's celibate is either straight or gay. Like, I think if we defined it as asexual, like, we'd be more true to the idea of letting people's actions define, um, like, define what they are. Uh, and in turn, any, I guess, consensual, intimate relations you have would be 
just that. Like mm-hmm. you can avoid mm-hmm. a lot of this confusion. Uh, it doesn't have to become like this this virtue signaling disease um, that we see, that we see in the polls. And maybe that's a bit unorthodox, uh, but either way, the way that it stands with all these blurred lines. Um, it's going to become an issue that the church encounters more and more uh, with their members. Only a matter of time, right? Even in exclusively Slavic churches. What are some like classic stances and responses that are that you, you would say are biblically sound? Or a good approach, I guess, if your brother or sister in Christ is struggling with this. I remember during the master's program, one of the questions that was really different and kind of threw me in for a loop, like scrambling for an answer that I didn't really think we had as a church is uh, what do we do with transgender people who come to the Lord? That's a tough, I mean like to me now in comparison the question of somebody who's someone who say is homosexual you know, how to deal with them is easier than the one who has for example altered their body, right? Lived in multiple different styles which one do you now pick and choose? The one that closely resemble or the one that they've come to know Christ in you know? Do they do another surgery to reverse all the changes? You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of more intricate questions to deal with. But with a homosexual person, I don't think. See, we have we have it's a taboo subject. We have stigma in the church towards these people. It's a Slavic church. I'll speak for Slavic church, but maybe even traditional fundamental churches in America and across the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we tend to look at it as a different problem, like. Oh, we gotta treat it differently. But I think it's just like anything else. Um, nobody is born with, you know, I don't know, honesty in their heart. That's something that they have to receive by walking with Christ and, and receiving his forgiveness and being regenerated. And then they constantly have to fight against lies in their life or against sin in their life. And so in this case, homosexuality being a sin as defined by the Bible. Uh, is something that they're going to continue fight against throughout the rest of their life. Some of them might have to remain unmarried because they will not be able to live with a person of the opposite uh, sex, and that's probably normal. Um, you know, because all that matters in the end is their relationship with Christ, and if you know they continue on growing in Christ, then and that might be um, you know for some, but for others uh, it might be that they um, you know going through some Christian. Th- therapy and counseling might be able to to look at things differently. Because again, if it was more of a nurture, more of a society question and not so much of a, you know, natural inclinations that they are trapped in, then it might be, you know, easier for them to deal with that. It's an interesting subject that's kind of tough to walk around. Yeah. But the Bible is pretty clear cut on it. Yeah, I, I definitely think like there needs to be a it's a sin along with all the other sins. Yeah, there needs to be a strong biblical stance on it. I mean, even if if Joel Osteen can go on, on CNN and, and defend that position, then I don't see why anybody else would have trouble doing that. Um, but it does need to be, I think there needs to be nuance when it comes to dealing with specific people. Because like you look at, for example, Milo Yiannopoulos. Like he's right now opening up like a, a like a conversion therapy center in in Florida where he says they're going to do like electroshock therapy and stuff like that, and so and he's wow. pretty brazen about it because I mean obviously it's 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 like people willingly enroll for that you know like they want to be mm-hmm. I don't know how to, I don't know how to put it delicately uh, accelerate the process of, of you know turning away from these inclinations and mm-hmm. and kind of rewiring their brain sure. Um, and so he's pretty brazen about that where he talks about his own experience where it's like, yeah, I was just, I was pretty much just acting up. Like I, I, 
like, but now I've done so much damage to myself that, that like, like this is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, and we need to speak up about that. But at the end of the day, it's about your personal walk with Christ and, and that we're all in different places. Um, what matters is that we're pointing in the right direction and we're, and we're moving forward. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, just type in Life Ring Podcast. Also consider sharing it with a friend or a family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next week.